Chats with Larry is a podcast of phone call conversations of me with my best buddy, Larry Keene. Larry is a retired minister and sociology professor, and he has the biggest heart of anyone I know. I'm Rabbi Brian, an ordained rabbi who heads religion outside the box, where I create great spiritual faith religious content for intelligent digital age seekers like you, people of all religious affiliations of none and everyone in between. I decided surreptitiously to record my chats with Larry with the hope that he would later give permission so that you might enjoy listening in. As you can deduce, Larry gave his blessing. Enjoy as we talk about philosophy, religion, sociology, and life. With love, I'm Rabbi Brian. Hey, listen, the audio quality isn't great in this. Larry's on speaker and it's hard to hear at times. But there are nine things that we talk about that I want to share. One, ballast, a sense of centeredness. And how do we get more ballast in our lives? Two, writing G-D removes the limits. Three, the self-surpassing surpasser of all. Yeah, that part's good. Four, Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Five, accumulating wisdom of the past. Six, the word aver and understanding words in their fullness. Seven, Brian tries to get Larry to curse. Eight, not dumbing down our language and vocabulary. And nine, two different styles of teaching. The word ballast is in my head a lot these days. That you have to have the weightiness at the bottom of the ship to keep the top. Ballast, yeah. Uh-huh. You have to have ballast when you go, you can't, you can't go without the heaviness. Yeah, that's, isn't that an interesting metaphor? It's the, it's the weight under the sea that isn't seen that stabilizes the whole ship. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait, say that again. It's the weight, the unseen weight under the sea. That stabilizes the ship. You would say stabilizes everything you can see. So what's the sermon in that, right? You would think that the lighter you are, the faster you go. Mm -hmm. But but the more inclination it is to topple over. But I might say the deeper you go, the faster you go. Yes. I see where you're saying that. That there are people who get toppled over by the wind. And there are people who can they have much more motion when they, they get t- toppled around, but they don't fall down. Yeah, a, where does the stability come from? Well, it comes from the base. It comes from the base. So, you know, isn't it interesting, the language we use, why he's a, a deep thinker. Yeah. The, the things that are good, uh, what's that fam- uh, famous statement that uh, preacher at Yale, William Sloan Coffin, uh, was interviewing a college student and Coffin was Reverend Coffin was saying to him, Well tell me about your dad. I apologize if I told you this. I don't remember it. He said, Tell me about your dad. And the the college kid said, way down deep, he's real shallow. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Oh wait, let me hold on to that. Way down deep, he's real shallow. Yes. Yeah. In other words, at the soul of him. There's no weight to it. And that's the way I think about uh, Trump. You know, he's, he's a man without a soul. Yeah. And no wonder he is so topsy-turvy in everything he does. There's and no weight to it. There's no weight. There's no depth. It's just air. 
Yeah, and so you, you see these people that go through hell and high water, but they, they just seem to stay steady. They don't get out off-center. They seem to have a centered centeredness about them. All right, and from where does that come? Good point. There's, you know, the, the impulsive Oh, I, have an, I got a smart-ass answer. Give me your answer. From not, from taking things lightly. Oh, I like that expression. So here's a person who never has taken things lightly, but rather seriously. And there's a quote that says, um, the angels only fly because they laugh. Because they laugh. Yeah. Yeah. I asked some family the other night. They were all over here. You were talking about Trump. And I said, have you ever seen Trump laugh? I mean, laugh. And they all said, no. No. And I said, do you know why that is? No. I said, because the inability to express affect is a sign of mental illness. Yeah. The, the ability to let go and be out of control and just a, a deep belly laugh, you don't know where that's going to go, is a sign of health. Yes. And the inability to laugh is exactly is non-angelic. Right. So what you're saying is so psychologically sound, it just is a sign of health. So why do some people have more of this? Children are so wonderful to be around because what do children do? They laugh. Yeah. They just laugh. And a ch- child's laughter is just beguiling. It's, we just, it's we're honest. Taken in. Yeah. We're just taken in by So why do some people have more ballast than others? And how do those of us who have less ballast get us some? And that's the key. It, it is acquirable. Yeah, that's an important point. That's an important thing, I think. It is acquirable. It it might not come cheap. And you can lose it, you know. You can lose your sense of centeredness. So that's what ballast is. This is a a synonym is is centeredness. I think it is. A centeredness and a a depth going beyond the obvious to the less obvious. Valuing what cannot be seen. Depth. That really gets into the spiritual realm, I think. Yeah, so depth beyond the seen. Yeah, because what is seen is so transitory, is it not? Uh, whether it's a tree or whether it's a family member, anything that we can see can be Oh, lost. dude, that is that is Greek philosophical and beautiful. It just seems right somehow. It rings true to me. And then the only things that are eternal, or and I think this is Aristotle, is things like pi. And yeah, and yeah. eternal truths are true. Platonic solids, those are true. That's right. All the rest right. of this is impermanent. And there's something wonderful about the phrase, no one has seen God, because the moment you can see him, you reduced him. That's an expression that's common with you. If you can see it, you've reduced it. And that's why God is not named. Uh, hence the value of G blank D. Oh, wait, wait. I want to get back to that in a second. So, but no one's seen God. It's seen because, because to see him would be to diminish him. So, to limit, if seen, limit. it's diminishing. So, you have to place your trust in that which cannot be said. Uh, the thought that comes to my mind immediately is uh, a line in Jainism it is and it is not. Yeah. Uh, Alan Watts talks about that. Yeah, it is and it is not. So there is a kind of an isness about it all, but it's beyond 
that. It's beyond that. And trusting in what you can't see uh, calls for so much faith. And faith is so energizing. Wait, wait, wait. What? Faith is so energizing because uh, the loss of faith is so debilitating. So the presence of faith energizes. It gives you, you know, there, it gives you a sense of the more. And who can live without a sense of the more? How, how valuable that is. How less value it is to be preoccupied with a sense of less. Yes. Yeah. That, that'll ruin a perfectly good day. Uh, a sense of lessness. You know, that's the opposite of gratitude, right? It's the, it, not saying it. Let me go back to what you said about G-D, because you and I have never talked about that, and that has been a, I thought that was a, a Jewish practice, and I, I don't know that I had heard the explanation you just gave. I just see the wisdom, and as soon as I discovered it, when my Jewish friends have used it, or when I've read the Jewish word. Yeah, yeah, but what is, I, so I, what yeah, does it mean? Right, that is just so right. So what it meant to you is that G-D is a, is a better placeholder because? Yeah, because it, it, it helps you to embrace the sense of more, of the more. That it's incomplete, and if it were complete, you wouldn't see what it is. That if it was complete, I would ultimately be disappointed in it. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's totally never anything I've heard. Um, Does that seem right to you? It just seemed like, you know, the sense of opening up to potential. Yeah. More than what you can see. And if there's anything godlike, it's when those moments permeate our presence. The holy moment would be uh, there's more to come. So we write G-D to remember that if we were to do the G-O-D as written, it would be a limited thing. And this is, a, in, a, in a sense, a reminder. That's right. That that's not, when we talk about God, we're talking about the self-surpassing surpasser of all. Uh, I love that phrase. I tried using it the other day. God is the self-surpassing surpasser of self, is what I said. But well, it's not the right that's quote. Good. I, that's good, because I think... When you parse it out, that's what you come up with. It's exactly, I didn't understand that for the longest time. Uh, to be godlike is to surpass the self. Yes. To surpass the self, the self-surpassing. Uh, when Brian Mayer is self-surpassing, he is walking on holy ground. He is He is in the presence of God. We're seeing God in there. Yeah. And that surpasses everything to be a self-surpassing person surpasses all charles hartshorn was philosopher that's his phrase right hawthorne that's his phrase it was hawthorne's theorem what is it called it's called something like that yeah i think so Uh, his book is entitled the divine relativity uh that that god is relative that that in effect he's you you can't put him in a box he's relative in the sense that he's unlimited uh, and secondarily he is found, God is discovered in relationships that God is not just an abstraction that the notion of Godness always emerges most clearly in human relationships or in relationship to anything even the, the, right. the earth well, that's the I, I thou versus I it that's right can I, I got to tell you something else I love here. 
is that G-D thing, it had been a bug up my craw because I know the, the, the public ra- rationale and reasons we say it, why we do that, which is it's a little complex. And I feel like you've just summarized it with a better moral. It's a good amulet to have around your neck, it just seems to me, to, to remind one that the, if it's holy, you can't limit it. That's it. And if God's, you know, if God's the ultimate sense of holiness in our lives, then don't limit him because to the extent that you limit God, you're limiting yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's and C-D does that for me. I saw it immediately. Why haven't I known that all my life? Yeah. I, mean, I, I knew it in an abstract sense, but it was such a nice little tiny word that spoke volumes to me immediately. And and I think that if Jews use it in a non-legalistic way, like I'm gonna not gonna say God, yeah, right, God. No, that was that was the that was the legalistic, and I never got to the heart behind it. Yeah, yeah, it's really wonderful. So you got to reduce it to a formula, then it's great. You just got there all the way from that. A spiritual thing is to see to something about depths beyond what's seen. Yeah, this you asked the question about weightiness. Why, why is it that the ballast in the ship yeah. is so important? You know, and if we want to go steadily through life, like a ship wants to go steadily through the ocean, what is it that will enable us to do that? And it's it's it has to come from a sense of deep centeredness in our life that it, it can't be reduced to things that we can see for instance like formulas yeah uh, here, here's one conservative christians evangelical christians would often do a five-finger exercise first you have to hear the word then you have to believe it then you have to repent of your sins and then you have to confess your faith and then be baptized, a five-finger exercise. And it always says to me, oh, my God, it's just, that's just too simplistic. What were those five things? I don't think I've ever heard that list in my life. Yeah, it's, it was in our denomination. You hear the word. You believe it. You confess your sins. Repent and confess your sins. I think there were two things. And then you're baptized. Uh-huh. Wash away those sins. You complete those five steps, and now you're a Christian, and you're saved for eternity. I see. And I, I, you know, it's so formulaic. Yes. And it flattens out, as Marcus Borg would say, it flattens out the gospel. It takes away its depth. Uh-huh. Right, right. And that was what we were saying about the depth beyond what what's seen. Yeah. And, and this notion of flattening out truth so that we can see it. That's the human temptation. Uh, I think the apple in the garden wasn't sinful because it, oh, it was sinful. It was sinful because it was it was something that you could see and covet, and the things that we should covet, if we can use that word in a holy sense, are the things that can't be seen. Amen. Those, and that's not an easy place to go go to. It takes a lot of maturity takes a lot of trust, takes a lot of trust and faith. What did Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, faith is the substance 
of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, that's a good quote. Isn't uh, Hebrews 11th chapter, I think it is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when we see Mother Teresa, or we see a, a saintly person, they're walking on a road that is not easily seen. Yeah, following right. things that are not easily seen. Fitness, seeing the things that you hope for, following the evidence of the things you don't see. Trusting that that just takes, you just, you have to get out of yourself to get to that place. Yeah. And uh, we, maybe we can't define it very clearly or easily, but we know it when we see it. And we, we feel it. it. We feel it even and if we, we don't see it. it. Right. You. Yeah. I love you. So the ballast, it all rewinds back up to God right here. Yeah. But with the dash and not meaning any word by it, but we're just yeah, using right. the word as a placeholder. That was, that's, right. that's Eric Fromm, that um, the letters G-O-D represent, are, are the letters of a placeholder that represent our highest ideals. Yes. Is that where it comes from? Yeah, that's where I first saw it. Yeah, Fromm. Yeah. Well, and aren't we lucky? Books are really bridges, aren't they? Oh, yeah. That, that these great souls have lived and wrote down their thoughts so mm. that we don't have to start from zero. No. Each generation have to, we can accumulate the wisdom of the past and build it into our lives, you know, and maybe we can leave some of our own wisdom as well, but it's cumulative. And that, how, I think that's the thing that is so wonderfully human is that we can accumulate yeah. over, and we can transmit it over time so that the next generation doesn't have to start from zero. They can take the, the accumulation of the ages past, right. whether it's Augustine or Aristotle or Trom or whoever. But then we're, we're building on the shoulders of giants, and it might not look like a lot of progress because this stuff takes generations. That's right. And sometimes we know things. Are you, have you experienced this? Sometimes we know things and we aver it. We... We stated emphatically, and we have no idea where it came from. What was the we verb you used? We what it? A verb, A-V-E-R. We say it is so. I don't know. I've never used this word in my life. It's, it's a word you don't hear very often, but, you know, it's, it, I think I wrote in, in a book that I had written or something I had written in the introduction. I said that for attributions, I said there are so many things in what I've written. I am sure I've heard it from somewhere else. I cannot remember where it came from, who said it, but it's here. It's not original material with me. And if I could attribute it to someone, I would. It's just I can't remember it. It's all right. What was the word of verse using? I I, I got so lost there. Uh, We were talking about something that I can or cannot aver. What does that mean? I I think it means uh, to speak to the truth of something. So you have your Google there. Can you? Can you Google yeah. A-V-E-R? I'm sure there's a better definition than what I'm giving. A verb, formal, state or assert to the case, to be the case. He yeah. averred that he was innocent of the allegations. That's right, yeah. To say that something is so. But it, it, it's a great, how many times in your life do you hear that? It's just that you know it, you don't know where you learned it. It's just that. Well, so give me, give me, now that I understand what the word means tell me what the phrase was again yeah what, what were we talking about i was saying that something was true 
And yeah. I think I said, it is something that I could aver, but I didn't know where that truth came from. It didn't come from me, I'm sure. I got it. I got it. But I can't attribute. Right. We were on Hebrews 11. I remember that, but I don't remember what it was. Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Oh, right. Evidence of things not seen. And you, that's where you came up with the word averse. Aver. That's what I, that's what I, I meant to say. Yeah, aver, yeah. Um, I, I say the way you keep it is your own. I'm sure you know this already. It's just use it. Yeah. Find some excuse in the next 24 hours to use it and say it to one of your children. Oh, th- th- I got, I got enough. Uh, <laughs> I, I will blame you. I'll say Grandpa Larry wanted me to teach you a new word that nobody in the earth knows. <laughs> yes. You know, we're watching TV in the state of Virginia. Someone will say something funny. Do you know what that means? No. I said, well, sweetheart, you can't appreciate what they're talking about if you don't know what that means. Let me just share with you. Then I'll tell you, explain it to her. And she says, well, that opens up a great big window. And so we do this a lot, and she's come to see that I don't mean that as a put-down. It's just she's, she just has never had an occasion to learn it. Right. But that's not, it's, not a, it's not a moral it's not a moral case. It's not a wrong or anything. But she says, it's just, you know, isn't it amazing if you have the right word for something, that it's an improvement upon any other kind of word or a whole series of words that you might need to use to explain the same thing that one word would do. That's that's exactly right. So I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but an exercise that I do with people in doing spiritual direction is I'll say to them, imagine that there's two people, Abatar and Heloise, and they are madly in love and write beautiful letters to each other. And then there's two other people, John and Jill, and they're not poets. And they write each other little love notes. Would you say that John and Jill love each other less? Very good. Because they don't use all the right. And everyone says, no, of course not. And I say, well, the same things with our theology. Uh, Some people might speak it a lot more fluidly than you do. But it doesn't mean that you have anything less than what they have. That's right, exactly. But, and this is not a negative, but sometimes saying less than they're capable of saying could diminish it. Because sometimes the other words have overtones to it that enlarge upon the meaning that if you used a lesser set of words, Uh isn't it possible that they wouldn't have the same overtones? Uh Uh-oh, Larry Keene, you're about to walk right into a corner here. Are you ready for it? (laughs) Okay. Based on the previous things that you have just said about how there should be a right word and that you're denying yourself the opportunity to use the fullest, most robust language possible, mm-hmm. would you not concede that you are missing out on at least seven words that my son knows that you don't use? Remember, Emmett looked at you and says, Grandpa Larry, you're really wise, but I still know seven words you don't know. Oh, yeah, okay. So you, you've always said that those words weren't necessary, but what I'm saying is you've just made quite a case that you should use all the words. I guess that's so. <laughs> but even if you use all the words, if you're talking about extremely important things, they're probably not enough. But you, you need to use as pregnant word as you possibly can Ooh. Okay. to expand 
you know, the fullness of what you're trying to say. So if you use Dick and Jane Rudd, uh, can you communicate? Sure, you can communicate just as well. You can communicate, but maybe not as well as you would communicate. I, someone I else got might you. Be able to, yeah, someone else may be able to get by with less, but I don't think... You're not going to start cursing is what I'm finding out. <laughs> You're too silver-tongued for that. No, it is. I just, I, that's what you're dealing with. Okay. You're preaching. Do you dummy down the words that you use nope. in your nope. speech? You don't. I don't either. I don't at all. John Wesley, John Wesley however, did. No, nope, I John, won't do it. I cannot do it because then can't it's, do it. no. it's not. You it's bring not. people along. You lift them up. You give them, take them to a place that is more expansive and expressive. Well, and how am I supposed to convince them to be themselves if I'm not being myself? That's true. That's the other side of it, too. There may be a greater good, and you may be, that may be part of the point you were trying to make. John Wesley would write a sermon, and then he would get his chamber, a charwoman, you know, who did his washing. And he would preach the sermon to her, and he said, Now, you stop me if there's any words that. You don't understand. And she would, would, and he would rewrite the sermon, taking out all the learned words that he had, so he could communicate to his audience that were just like the charwoman. Oh, well, that's fine. That's a different thing. Yeah. So that, you, you dummy down the language. I don't mean to be crude, but you, you use a less expansive vocabulary. But I had learned that even if you're preaching to an audience and you use a word that they would never use or maybe had never heard and you use it in such a way they get it oh yeah of course we can comprehend language much better than we can produce it that's right and people only use a small fraction of the vocabulary that they understand oh, again that goes back to you and not cursing <laughs> probably so yeah so I, I don't know it just seemed to me that you raise the level of your congregations oh absolutely absolutely right. but i have the advantage that not everyone has of building my congregation from the bottom up well and not inheriting one of the things that you're so good at is that you present an idea and then you throw it out to them and ask them to be creative and say how have you experienced this or how would you express this or mm -hmm. you get you get the people involved in a creative process and before they know it they're caught up in a place that they might not have gone if you urge them to go there yeah. Given the permission to go there. And I've never met anyone who does that as well as you did. You, that's part of what I think excites you is seeing them expand on your sermon. Uh, someone once said to me, if you leave it all on the pulpit, you don't give us anything to take home and work on ourselves. Right. And I didn't get that at first. But, you know, it's important to do that. That takes planning and effort. I just, I, I'll tell you I, where I learned it was in teaching. I couldn't, I could do all the lesson plans I wanted, but I didn't know who was showing up that day, which doesn't mean I didn't know which kids were showing up. I didn't know what mood they were showing up in. And it would be a different, it, it had to adapt. Every class I ran had to be live to the kids who were in the room. That's right. And That's the right. same, I just am doing the same thing with my services. Because I'm saying, okay, uh, let's talk about this. And if you want me to do a lot of the talking, I'll do a lot of the talking. But I'd much prefer it if you guys would participate. 
you and I have talked about the psychological and sociological model teaching that the psychologist, the sociologist takes the position that the student is a receptacle and the teacher should, from the outside, pour no, something in. That's not okay. right. But I'm very comfortable with that. You, on the other hand, take the psychological yeah. approach that says, no, the learner is a seed, that they have everything within them. They do. That they need, and that all you need to do is to pull it out. And to tend to, to draw it out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and my response to that is, it's two ways of teaching. No, no, you do yours. I, I can't. I, I hate giving a frontal presentation for an hour. I, I, I know, but you do it. You do it anyway. You are. Uh, you employ both of those techniques. I think as all good teachers do, where you take what you have seen and understood and believe in, and you dump it. You pour it into them. No, and, you know, there's a, a Yeats uh, quote that says, education is not filling a bucket, it's lighting a fire. Yeah, I, 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 my contention is that's half right. Okay, what's the other half? The other half is you, sometimes you just have to give information. Oh, absolutely. You have to, because if they don't have it, oh, no, you like just a straight talk. I remember you talking, you telling me about your professor who the first day of class, two people ask questions and the professor says, listen, there's a lot of material here. Uh, we could go much faster if none of you interrupted. And then nobody interrupted the professor. You totally the I'm going to pour information in you yeah. kind of approach. You see, you're a rabbi. Isn't that, doesn't that mean teacher? Okay. Doesn't that mean teacher? I think if I... That's what we say. That's how we say it. Yeah, but it's more... Rabbi, it's more... Jesus as a rabbi. Yeah, but it's more like sensei or don. It's more like an an honorific thing. Yeah. Of esteem, not of learnedness. Yeah. You know, having taught in public schools, as you have done, yeah. is wonderful history for a clergyman or a clergy person. Absolutely. You have been a... It's just... That's right. You're you're in the didactic yeah. kind of mode, you know, as a teacher. Uh, in public school, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you're giving information. Sometimes you're pulling it out of them, and you're using all of those. Sometimes you're lighting a fire. Yeah. Uh, there, every every tool available. Yeah. Every tool, every facet for expansion. You know, lighting a fire. How that expands the person. Giving people appropriate information how that enlarges a person forcing a person to dig down and reveal what's deep within them that they know rings true to them how enlarging that is so yeah you're right and i expect there could be other things that you could you know tools that you could utilize to be a good teacher and and like you say it depends on what class shows up on monday yeah yeah and I just, I'm, I'm delighted with so much that you and I just talked about. I got to get myself uh, back home because I got a bread that I got to bring. I love it. I, the, the time just flies by. That's right. You're baking bread tonight. Indeed. I wish I was there to taste some of that. Thank you, brother. I love you so much. Thank you. You too. Thank you for sharing the time. Bye. That was this week's episode of Chats with Larry. Please, before you listen to another episode or do something else, think about two friends who might enjoy listening to this and send them a text or email right now. Tell them to listen to Chats with Larry. 
Thanks to Steve Koch, my producer. There will be another episode next week. And thanks to all of you who donate and support to Religion Outside the Box. Religion Outside the Box can be found at ROTB.org. On the website, you can sign up for the 77% weekly, my spiritual religious faith message delivered to your inbox 40 out of 52 weeks a year. You can shop at the Etsy store for great religious spiritual faith creations. Learn more about the Saturday service and stop on by some Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streamed dog free religious service open to everyone. And a special thanks to Virginia Keene and as always to my BFF, Larry Keene. I love you, buddy.